welcome to church. We're so honored that you're here. Wherever you're tuning in from, maybe you're at one of our locations across South Mississippi over at the Hunt Club or on my family on the Gulf Coast, Stone County, up at Jones County, right here at Lincoln Road. Man, we're so excited that you're here. Maybe you're with us at church online right now. Thank you. We're honored that you're spending a little bit of time with us. Put those emojis, those new emojis to good use. Put it in the chat. Let us know how you're doing today. We want to converse with you over at church online as well. My name is Blake. I have the honor and the privilege of serving on the team here at Venture as the Gulf Coast campus pastor. Now, before we get into a time of getting into the word or anything like that, y'all, you just kind of have to bear with me because God is moving in our church. And I just, we got to celebrate for a second. We got to celebrate what God is doing. I can't even get to this yet before we start talking about every way that, that God has been moving. It's been really difficult to do that over the past couple of years, huh? It's been really tough just with COVID and with everything going on. And the, it feels like the whole world's on fire right now. And there's so many different things going down. It's really tough to celebrate. And it almost feels like sometimes it doesn't seem like God is doing very much, that he's moving. But y'all, can I tell you that he is? Can I tell you that he is doing incredible things? In fact, this Sunday, this is the last Sunday that the Gulf Coast campus has to set up and tear down because last Tuesday, come on, that's worth celebrating right there. Last Tuesday, we signed and closed on our permanent home in Gulfport, which we will be in on April 3rd, and we're going to be doing a grand launch at Easter of this year, our three-year anniversary down on the coast. It's incredible. Can I tell you something else? We were Because of the generosity of this church, because of your vision and your passion to see more people than ever before come to know, love, and follow Jesus, we were able to get that building only on cash. We were able to just put it down and say, because of the generosity of this church, the faithfulness of this church. And it's not just on the Gulf Coast that God has been moving, but it's in Jones County as well. We're about to sign in just a few weeks to close on that permanent facility. Well, we're going to have five permanent facilities in an age where we don't know what our 401ks are doing. Or we don't know where anything else is going on. You and your generosity is because of your faithfulness to this church and what God is doing here that I'm able to stand here and confidently say, and I pray that you can say it with me, that God's just getting started. He's just getting started on what he's doing here. And man, y'all better just buckle up because we are going to celebrate. We are going to be thankful. We're going to be excited about what God is doing because what he is doing is not normal. And we get to be a part of it. Now, I have a lot of people ask me, it's like, Blake, how, do, how can I be a part of it? How do I join the church? Well, can I help you with that language a little bit? It's not so much about joining the church as much as it is joining in with the church. All right, we don't have members at Venture. We have partners. We say that members have their privileges, but partners have their responsibilities. Each and every one of us that's listening to my voice today, you have been given a certain set of spiritual gifts, things that God has placed on you, a calling that he's placed on your life to go and to reach more people than I ever could, than anybody ever could. He's given you a very specific calling on your life. And that's why we've created this new tool I want to tell you about really quickly. It's called Serve 101. Now, Serve 101 is part of what we're calling the Your Venture process. You may have heard of Your Venture. Your Venture is the pathway to your purpose. It's finding that niche, that place that God has brought you into our church to do something for his name and for his glory and for the good of others. And so Serve 101 is a tool that we're using now. You can do it on, on campus on Sundays. You can go and learn about the heart of our church, learn about your spiritual gifts. You can, you can learn about a place where you can begin to serve or the new really cool part of this is it's online. You can do it through the Venture app. If you sign up and download the Venture Church app, you can do it all online. It's like TurboTax with like none of the headache and none of the end result in this case. But you get to find your place. And can I, can I take just a moment and challenge you 
Because Pastor Jeff says this all the time, it doesn't get powerful until it gets personal. That when you use your gifts and you find your place and you start to serve and to give of your life, it doesn't just change other people's lives, it changes yours. And that's why we've created Serve 101 so that each person in our church can be activated to go and make an impact on other people. And I'm truly believing that we're gonna see even more baptisms than we've ever seen before, that more lives are gonna be changed than we've ever seen before. Why? Because God's blessing our church. Now, we've been in a series over the past few weeks where we've been talking about identity, right? One of one, the unique identity that we have in Christ. But then, on the other hand, we're going into a series of the next few weeks that I'm really excited about called I Promise. And we're gonna be talking about the promises of God. But today, what I wanna talk about are those moments in life where it feels like blessings in our life, because we've been talked a lot about blessing, they feel a million miles away. Have you ever felt that? It felt like maybe you were coming out of a season of blessing, right? And you're like, man, I just, I feel good. But then all of a sudden the blessing goes away and you're just like, where am I? You wake up and you're like, what in the world? Or maybe for some of you, you're sitting here in the room today and you're like, Blake, I've never felt that. I don't know what you mean by blessing. What is this blessing that you're talking about? Every day is a struggle for me. It's day after day after day after day of just trying to do another thing. And I don't even know, it's actually kind of offensive that you even mentioned blessing right now because I'm, I'm not seeing it. Well, I have a story in scripture and the Lord, I think, really wants to speak to us in. It's in Exodus chapter one. And I think that it will really encourage, encourage all of us because here's what I want to say to you today. Maybe you're not in a season of blessing and you just feel like you're just overtly burdened. Or maybe you've never felt like you've ever experienced the burden of blessing in your life before. I want to tell you, God sees you. He sees you. He hears you. He's with you. And this story is going to bring evidence to that. Now, before we dive into Exodus 1, I want to give a little bit of a backstory, right? Some backstory to what's happening because we just got out of a journey through Genesis where we've looked at the life of Joseph and because of his faithfulness in so many different seasons, he was made the number two guy in the most powerful country at the time in Egypt, only underneath Pharaoh, and he was controlling everything. As a result, he brings his family down to Egypt during a famine and they are living the high life. Let me tell you, I mean, like they got the golden chariots, like they eating the grapes, probably getting them dropped, you know, like all this kind of stuff. They are living the high life, enjoying it. And so we're, we see this season at the beginning of Exodus where the, for the children of Israel, everything is going great, but it doesn't stay great. In fact, we're, we're learning that this blessing is soon to become a burden. And sometimes we have to recognize that some of God's greatest gifts come in the smallest of packages. So we're going to go in Exodus 1, but before we do that, I would love to pray together. Can we pray? Father, I pray that you would take this word, that you would let it speak to our hearts, that you would do something new in us, and that we would learn about what blessings truly, truly are. We love you, God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Hey, look, I want to tell a story about the whole big things coming in small packages. A few months ago, I had an opportunity to go to the mailbox and get something that I actually wanted. I don't know if it's about you, but it seems like nowadays you're either getting an ad or a bill, and I want both. Just kidding. I don't want neither of those. But this time there was an ad that came in, and the only kind of ad that gets my attention is one that has food on it. And so I look at it, and all of a sudden it like had a hamburger or something on it. I was like, now this is my kind of ad. And so I look at it, and it's 14 meals from HelloFresh. Hallelujah. And so I walk into the house and I'm like, baby, look, we got 14 meals from HelloFresh. Now, I have to be very careful to enunciate the O because I have to say HelloFresh because my southern accent. I walked in, I was like, baby, we got 14 meals from HelloFresh. And they were like, Lauren's like, what did you say to me? I was like, no, HelloFresh, HelloFresh. 
And so I was really excited about it, and I was like, okay, we're going to do it. So I get the box ordered, and it's on its way, and I'm at work, and I get the little notification that says, hey, your box is here. It's at the house. It's, it's time to go. Now, a couple of things you need to know about me. I love to eat. I hate to cook. Those two things don't always go together. And so I, I'm really excited about this opportunity because I'm going in, and I'm getting the box. And, and so I get to the house, and I'm ready to open it up, and I was thinking there at least should be some, some confetti or something. You know, just the way that they really pump this thing up. And I get to the house, and it's just this little small cardboard box. And I pick it up. It's like this. I was like, what in the world? There ain't nothing in here. So I bring it into the house, and I'm a little bit defeated. And I open up, and I kind of pull back the, the tape, and I open up the flap. And on the underside of that flap, it says, your culinary journey is about to begin. Yes, sir, it is. <laughs> and so I open it up, and all of a sudden, I start pulling stuff out, and there's a poblano pepper. Didn't even know those things existed. I put it to the side, and there's spices and, and thyme. Did you know they come on stems that you can peel the leaves off of? I sure didn't. And so we come in, and we start pulling it away, and all of these different things, and there's the meats and the cheeses and the spices that have names that I can't pronounce, and all of these different things. And all of a sudden, I'm looking, and my whole kitchen table is filled with just this wonderful bounty of food that we're about to cook. And it came in that small box, and the Lord told me something. He said, many times the things that you think is just going to be ordinary and packaged and something that doesn't matter is the thing that I'm going to bring the greatest blessing in. And that's what we're going to see in Exodus chapter 1. So would you read it with me as we start in verse 1? It says this. It says, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his own household. Reuben, Simeon. Levi and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob, they were 70 persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. The Lord had gone before and brought a blessing to the family through Joseph. Verse 6, then Joseph died, and all of his brothers and all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful, and they increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. The first thing that we need to see on our journey together, if we're going to be able to understand blessing in every season, is we have to look at the anatomy of a blessing. Truly, what is a blessing? Now, if I asked you today and took a poll and said, what is a blessing in your life? There would be limitless answers to what a blessing is. But what I want to say to you guys, and through God's word, I think he wants to show us that the blessing is something very specific. And you look at the first seven verses of Exodus 1, and you're like, what in the world does that mean? He just listed a bunch of names that we have a really hard time pronouncing. How does that even apply to the blessing? Well, we have to remember that Genesis and Exodus combine. When you read Genesis and then you move into Exodus, it's all part of one big story. Exodus chapter 1 is just picking up where Genesis 50 left off. And so we have to remember that it was in this moment that Joseph had all of these things taken, right? He was doing all of these things, and his, his family comes down, and they are receiving the blessing. But I want you to notice something. It doesn't say in this, in this text that they were receiving a lot of good things in Egypt, right? Instead, I want you to look with me in verse 6 once again. Then Joseph died, and all of his brothers in that generation, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Where have we heard that language before? They were fruitful and they multiplied. They increased greatly. Well, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, you get to that point where God is looking at Adam and Eve, and, he, and it says, and God blessed them and said, be fruitful 
and multiply. Fill the earth, take it and subdue it. Be over all of the animals and all the animals in the field and in the sea. We see that they were just orienting their lives around the blessing that they had already been given. The blessing wasn't that they were receiving something good in Egypt. Can we see this? The blessing was that God has spoken to them a word before they got to Egypt. We have to remember that our blessings aren't found in where we are, but in whose we are. This is incredibly important. Our blessing is not about what we have or or where we are, the position that we're in. The blessing is all about what God has said about us. He has given us himself. The children of Israel knew this. That's why they were able to move in every season. Did you check out in verse six? It says, but Joseph died. He and all of his brothers of that generation, there was a time where the origination point of the blessing was no longer there. I'm gonna ask you the same question. Has there been a point in your life where the thing that you thought was a blessing, where it started, no longer existed? Maybe it was your expectations of a family. Maybe it was your finances. Maybe it was something in your life, a position that you had that started off really good, but then all of a sudden, just like Joseph, that blessing, that origination point died. What do we do at that point? Well, we have to remember that blessings are ultimately about the blessing giver, not just the blessing. We go all the way back to Genesis and we recognize that our blessings, the things that we have are not, that's not the origination. That's not the anatomy of a blessing. That is just the fruits of a blessing. The blessing is what God has already said and what he's already spoken over your life. He is the blessing giver. Why is it important to remember this? It's because often our seasons of blessing can lead to seasons of burden. It's hard to, to realize because we don't think those two things can coexist but they do. We see this in Exodus chapter one, verse eight through 14. Let's read this together. It says, now there arose a new king over Egypt and he didn't know Joseph. He didn't know Joseph. And he said to his people, behold, the people of Israel, they're too many and they're too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. And therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh's store cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and the more they spread abroad, the more the blessing became real in their lives. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves. And they made their lives bitter with hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of the work in the field and all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. What do we see here? We see that the blessing that the Israelites started with moved into a season of burden because their enemy, Pharaoh, did not know Joseph, did not know the word that God had given them, didn't really care. In fact, the multiplication effort was something that they, he did not want to happen. So what did he do? He placed it with burden. Now, between verses seven and eight, there's 430 years. It's a lot of time before there was a Pharaoh that didn't know Joseph. But I want you to see this. The enemy does it the same way in our own lives, y'all. In the places where we were experiencing the most blessing, the places where we felt like God was moving the the most, all of a sudden we look up and we're like, where did these chains come from? What happened here? How did we get into bondage at this point? What, what in our lives changed to make it to where we couldn't move forward in the blessing, just like the Israelites? It's because the enemy comes and he takes the things that were our blessings and he begins to move them into a season of burden. Did you notice that it says that they were set up as slaves to create grain houses? This is the same thing that Joseph was given command over in Genesis chapter 45. 
He was given ownership of the stone, and now they are slaves to building it. Burden comes by degrees. Oftentimes, our, our blessings diminish by degrees. Have you felt this? In the moments in your life where you feel so passionate, so excited that God is doing so much little by little by little, year after year, it just chips away, chips away, chips away, and you find yourself in burden. You find yourself in chains, in slavery to something that you never thought you were going to be enslaved to. Has anybody ever experienced uh, like the camp high, the, the Christian camp high? Like you go to Christian camp, and you're just like, man, I'm on fire. I love it. Like on Friday night at camp, you're just, I, this used to happen to me all the time. I was like, I'm going to go be a missionary on the other side of the globe. And then on Monday, I get to, and I'm going to, be, I'm going to lead three of my friends to Jesus. And then on Tuesday, I'm like, well, I'm probably just going to pray for them first. And then on Wednesday, I'm like, when's the football game? You know, like it just, it diminishes by degrees. This is how the enemy works. I heard it said that the enemy starts off trying to get a toehold in your life, something, a temptation, some kind of turmoil in your life that he likes to get a toehold on. And if he can get a toehold, then he's going to build it into a foothold and get a little bit more strong. And then he's going to build it into a stronghold in our life where all of a sudden we are in a pit and in a prison that we can't get out of. This is burden. But in the midst of that burden, the blessing continued. Did you see this? It said that the more Pharaoh oppressed, the more Pharaoh burdened, the more that he piled on top, the more they multiplied. It's because they had their eyes set on the blessing giver and not their circumstances. They knew where the blessing came from. So what does this look like? It's the third thing that we see in this story, and that's belief. We see belief. Look with me in Exodus 1, 15 through 22, which says this. It says, Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Sifra and the other Puah, when you serve as a midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a son, you shall kill them. If it's a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and they did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the male children live. And so the king of Egypt called the midwives and said to them, why have you done this, and why have you let the male children live? And the midwife said to Pharaoh, well, it's because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwife comes to them. And so God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. And then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is where the story begins to take a turn because not only were the Israelites given more burden, right? We see this move from just pure slavery to genocide. We see Pharaoh, who is the enemy of the people of Israel. He's the enemy of the promise of God saying, you know, instead of just enslaving you and making you work for me, I'm going to make it to where you can't multiply. I'm going to kill your firstborn son. Every one of them going to go right into the Nile. How in the world were they able to stand up to that? Because they remembered the blessing. They remembered about who it was from. And it built in them belief. But here's what I want you to see is that the enemy's gonna do everything in his power to squash the blessing in your life, to squash who God says about, what God says about you, to squash who he says you are in terms of him. He's gonna to try to rip it away. He's gonna to try to enslave it and to kill it and do everything that he can. Why? Because John 10 says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. First Peter 1, 9 says that the enemy, your adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion roaming to and forth, seeking who he can devour. He's looking, he's after that blessing. He's after what God has put in your life. But, I, but the midwives... Can we take a moment and just respect the midwives that they stood up in the face of the most powerful man of Egypt and said, not our blessing. 
not us. God has given us an assignment. He's given us something to do, and we're not going to stand for what you're trying to do to us. It's in the soil of belief that the seed of blessing begins to take root. If you want to see a blessing stir in your life, start to see that belief come forth. How do we do that? Well, do you have a midwife? The midwives were people that stood in the gap for the entire nation. If it weren't for the midwives, then the entire nation would have capitulated under to what Pharaoh wanted. But instead, they stood up, and they stood strong, and they stand firm in the belief that they had that God was going to bring about the blessing in their life. And so who is the midwife in your life? Who is the person that's going to stand in the gap for you? Who's going to help birth the blessing in your life and say, we're not going to let this just fall. We're not going to let it go into the Nile. We're not going to let this happen. This is why house church is so important. We don't just meet on Wednesday nights at 630 for kicks and giggles. When we come together on Wednesday nights, we are coming together with people who are in our corner, who God is moving in our life. He's doing something amazing that that when we come together, we are encouraging one another and we're seeing God move in an amazing way. And we're saying, hey, when we come together, it's not going to be just something where we're we're, we're letting the world speak into us, but instead we're going to speak into one another and hold fast on the blessing that God has given us. Because yes, John 10, 10 does say that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but when we come together, We're going to stand fast and say, yes, but Jesus said, I have come to bring life and life abundant. That when, yes, in 1 Peter 1, 9, it says that he is like a roaring lion seeking who he can devour. And we stand together and we say, no, but we know that our Savior is actually the lion of Judah and his roar has a lot more power. God moves when we stand together. Who's your midwife? Who are your people? Because it's in the soil of that belief when we stand together that that seed of blessing begins to take root. But then we have the baskets. Then we have the basket. Look with me in Exodus 2, verses 1 through 10. It says, Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. And she couldn't hide him any longer. She took for him a basket made of bulrushes and daubed it with bitumen and pitch. Then she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. And his sister, she stood at a distance to know what was going to be done to him. And now the the daughter of Pharaoh, the the daughter of the enemy, came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside her. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw this child, and behold, the baby was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. And so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. And so the woman took the child, her own child, and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. What did she name him? She named him Moses. Because, she said, I drew him out of the water. Moses' mother had a baby. A blessing, if she will. And this blessing was one that she couldn't keep hidden. It was one that she knew that God had brought to her, that she had to do something with. She didn't know what to do. She just knew that if everywhere else that that Pharaoh had put this mandate on, that everywhere else that all the firstborn men, males, were going into the river. They were going into the Nile. And she was left with this fact that she had a son that she could hide no longer. So what did she do? She built a basket. She built a basket 
of belief. And yet she took care of it and she put it together and she, she fashioned it with love and with care because she knew that this was the only blessing that she had and that this was the only chance that this blessing was gonna be able to grow and to be something greater than, than the future that the enemy had planned for it. So she fashioned the basket around it and then where did she place it? She placed it in the very place, in the very place where the enemy was killing the blessings. She placed them in the Nile. She put him in the very place where all of these other male babies were being thrown into to go to die. Sometimes in your own life, God will use the place of burden in your life to bring about new blessing. If you're looking for blessing in your life, if you're looking for God to do something amazing, go to the very place where the enemy is putting so much pressure, so much pain, so much dissonance in your life. Go to that place and say, God, this is all I got. This is everything I got. I'm just going to lean it over to you. I'm just going to give it over to you. I got a story that I, that I, I like to tell, and it's one that's really close to me. But all my life growing up, I had wonderful father figures. But I grew up in a very broken home. And my family has a generational curse of bad fatherhood that follows it generation after generation after generation. And for me, my burden, that burden is that place of where I feel like I'm never going to measure up as a father that I'm constantly living in the fear that I'm only going to bring about the next generation of that bad generational curse. Every time I look at my little girl, sometimes, it's like my heart goes up into my throat and I'm wondering if that's gonna be the same thing. But it's in the place of that most doubt and that most burden that God has brought about regeneration in my life of the blessing that I know he's bringing. Our little girl's name is Henley Grace. Now when we named her, we didn't. I was looking up Google, and it was just a name that started with H. <laughs> Not too good, I know. But I think God did it on purpose because it was months later after she had been born that I was really struggling. I was like, God, am I, am I just going to fail? Am I just going to continue to proliferate this curse going on and on? Is this burden going to continue? And I looked up Henley's name, meaning. And the name Henley comes from Old English. It means high meadow. And that doesn't mean a lot when you just take it as it is. But it's when you add her second name, Grace, God's unmerited favor, that I was blown away. Where he came and he spoke to me a word where he said, in this high place, as you look out over your life, the meadow of my grace is going to overcome every generational curse that you've ever experienced. And it's in this place, it's in this Nile, it's in this river that you're gonna release the blessing that you wanted so that I can give you the blessing that you needed. And I'm gonna tell you guys today that if you will go to the place of your most pain, if you will go to the place of your most hurt, God will take that blessing and he'll ignite something in your life that changes everything. Am I the greatest father? Absolutely not. But now I have a calling that I can stand on and say, from the very beginning, God has spoken a word into my life and told me what my life was going to be about. We're going to be breaking chains in this household. We're not going to be bowing down to him. And so I want to ask you, are you going to be like Moses' mom? Are you going to be able to take the blessing that you wanted and place it into the river, the river where so much doubt and burden is, and release it so that God can bring about the blessing in your life? Maybe you're saying, Blake, that sounds really good. That sounds awesome, but I don't, I don't have a blessing. I don't even have a basket. I don't even have belief. Well, everything you're talking about sounds really good. What does this look like for me? Can I tell you? Can I share one more verse with you? And this time we're going to the New Testament. 
Luke chapter two, starting in verse four, it says this. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling coves and laid him in where? Laid him in a manger. She laid him in a basket because there was no place for them in the end. Can I tell you that the greatest blessing you've ever received was put in a basket 2,000 years ago? And that baby, that blessing didn't stay there, but he grew up, lived a sinless life, a perfect life, gave his life on a cross on Calvary so that you could see the word, could feel the word, could hear from the Father once more. I choose him. I choose her. I've got a plan for her life. I've got a plan for his life. That blessing in a basket came to you. I love Isaiah chapter nine, verse six. It says, for unto us, a son is born. Unto us, a child is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders and he will be called wonderful, counselor, mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. There's a blessing for you. And it was in a basket 2,000 years ago. But can I tell you that blessing's not in a basket anymore. He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's asking you come. He's asking you say, I choose you. Bring your burden, bring your blessing, bring your basket. I don't care what you bring, just bring you. And watch how I can change your life forever. Will you pray with me? God, we love you. We're so thankful for this time together. God, we don't deserve the blessings that we have. We don't deserve the moments we have, but because of your goodness and your grace, you set us on that high place, that high meadow. Where we're able to look out over our life and see that your grace has been following us all along, that the blessing that you've called, just like the children of Israel, when they were being fruitful and multiply, even in the season of burden, God, you continued the blessing on. And it's because of that, they were made into a great nation. It's not the way they wanted it, but it's the way you brought it about. So for each and every person that's listening to my voice today, God, I pray that someone would be able to lay their baskets, that they would be able to push it off the banks of the Nile, the, play, the banks of that burden, and watch as you take it and you lead it and you grow it into something that can lead us into exodus from our exile. That you can change our lives together forever, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Venture Church Podcast. To find a campus near you, check out VentureChurch.org.